Sue Elvis from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 43, and I'm not sure today what I'm going to call this episode. I could call it Elsa the Bride, or How to Travel the World Without Leaving Home, or perhaps Lots of History and Geography Resources. Yes, I haven't quite decided what I will call this episode, but that's not going to stop me recording it. So you can tell from the titles, sort of, what I'm going to be talking about today. I might start with some wedding stories, because if you've been listening to my podcasts or reading my blog, you'll know that my son Callum married Casey last Saturday. Yes, I have a new daughter. So I would just like to share several stories of that day. And that's where Elsa the Bride comes into it. And the other big thing that's happening this week is the end of the official school term. And for us, that means that my school teacher husband, Andy, will be home for two weeks. So our lives will switch into a new season. We'll be doing different things over the next two weeks, spending time with my husband while he's home and hopefully going on a few outings, doing a few things together. So this led me to think about what sort of things we could do during the holidays. And that led on to a lot of history and geography resources. Yes, so that's basically what I'm going to be talking about today. So I hope you'll listen along. Okay, we might start my podcast with some wedding stories. I've got Sophie with me and we're using my little Zoom hand recorder that I bought many, many months ago and which I was going to use to record some on-location segments, but I haven't actually done that because I didn't actually learn how to use it properly. So we're going to have a go with that today, aren't we, Sophie? Yes. So Casey and Callum got married on Saturday, which was the 12th of September, didn't they? Yes. And tell us about the bridal party, Sophie. The bridal party consisted of Casey, two of her sisters, Gemma Rose, and a school friend. Yes, Gemma Rose was a flower girl, wasn't she? Yes. She was a bit afraid that she would outgrow her dress before the day because it was bought quite a long time ago, wasn't and it? And they hadn't known her size when they bought it. Yes, it was size 8, I think, and she's 11. <laughs> but luckily it fitted, didn't it? Yes. And the groom's party, who are they? There was Callum, obviously, being the groom, Duncan, and his best man was our next-door neighbour. And they got married in our local parish church. Yes. Now, the bridesmaids were dressed in what colour, would you say? Kind of pink, but more of a skin pink. I think they called it blush. Ah, blush. <laughs> Did you like their dresses? It was all right. Not quite what I would have picked. And Casey's dress, that was absolutely fabulous. It was well, gorgeous. Lots and lots of petticoats, weren't there? Yes. Had a hoop in the bottom. And a train. Just a little train. Yes. I think she found it rather difficult to walk in it, though. Yes, because there was so much to carry around. Apparently it was really hot. What, inside the dress? Yes. Which was just as well, because it was a cool day. Well, it was a beautiful sunny day for this time of year. But it's only very early spring. That's right. So we were very lucky with the weather, weren't we? We were. Lovely, clear blue skies, and they got married at 2.30 in the afternoon. And we had a lot of photos taken in the shade, which was good because they turn out better in the shade, don't they? They we, do. We know that as photographers. 
so let's go back to the preparations on the day after lunch. Callum came round here, didn't he, to yes. our house, and got dressed here. Now you tell me your story about the ties. Well, all the men had ties to wear, and in the morning, Dad had been all boasting about this amazing tie he was going to be wearing. And then when Callum came over and finished getting dressed, he said, "Dad, can you tie my tie?" As he sees Dad's tie, and Dad just goes, oh, "Another excuse to use my knot." And so he ties up Callum's tie. I don't think Callum, you had a tie, a tie, do you? No, he's only worn a suit twice before, I think, with a tie. And both times, either Dad or Casey had tied it for him. I think I heard that Casey wanted him to have one of those ties on a bit of elastic. Yes, <laughs> but he said he wouldn't have it because she'd play with it the whole evening. So you're <laughs> pulling it out. Yes. No, he had to have a proper tie. So, he, so Dad tied his tie and Callum's tie, and then what happened? And then... Duncan came out in his suit, and his tie didn't look right. So Dad went over, and he fixed up Duncan's tie. So Dad did three ties? Yes. Was that the end of the story? No. When we were leaving, our next-door neighbour came out of his house because he's the best man. And he was like, can you tie my tie, he said to Dad. And so Dad tied his tie up. So we were all standing on the driveway waiting to drive to the church, and Dad's tying another tie. Yes. It was funny. <laughs> so we got to the church and we all got there early because we're the groom's family. And Callum needed to greet all the guests and Emmy needed to practice music because yes. she was singing. So Imogen did the music for the wedding. wedding. What did you think of the music? It was beautiful. Absolutely wonderful, wasn't it? It was stunning. <laughs> yeah, she did a very good job with the music. The Lord is my shepherd. big thing was walking down the aisle, wasn't it, with Casey yes. and her dad, and they had a bit of trouble with her dress, didn't they? Yes, because her dress was just so wide, it was hard to fit her and her dad down the aisle next to each other. I think her dad actually walked a little bit behind her, so they could both move down the aisle without getting stuck. They were still carefully manoeuvring themselves around flowers, though. <laughs> I think most of the flowers suffered a lot. Now, Casey wore a veil over her head, didn't she? Yes. Over her face. And she didn't actually uh, lift it, or Callum lifted it, just before he gave her the bridal kiss, wasn't it? Yes. That was really rather lovely. It was a lovely wedding, wasn't it? It was. Really beautiful. Not a very big wedding. I think we had about 65 people there. Yeah, that's what Casey said. And then after the wedding, we congregated outside the church and took photos around the church before walking down to the lake. Yes. I think anybody that reads my blog knows about our lake. It's one of our favorite places, <laughs> isn't it? Yes. We're always going down to the lake. Very picturesque place, lovely place for photos, and had loads and loads of photos down at the lake. Yes. Before we all went to the reception, which was held at our local RSL club, rather posh. It was very posh. A number of other function rooms in the club. We had just had one. And I've got another story there about the party that was going on next door to our celebration. 
I heard this uh, from Callum and Casey when they were sitting on the bridal table waiting for dinner. I don't think that bridal table was very good, do you? No, it was a little bit awkward how they all had to sit there. Sort of like a show table. A show table. It was a, a very long table. And everyone was sitting on one side of it, so it was a bit hard for conversation. They, they all lined up, didn't they? Callum and Casey in the middle, the groomsmen to one side, and the bridesmaids to the other, all sitting facing everybody else. Very hard for them to talk. I think we had it much better. Yes, we had round tables, which so I, made conversation very easy. It did. Anyway, I went over and talked to Callum and Casey a number of times because they looked like they were a bit uncomfortable sitting there being <laughs> yes. watched. And they told me this story. They were coming up the stairs towards the function room, and there was a party going on in the next function room, little girls' party. It was at the netball team, uh, a young girls' netball team. And they saw Casey coming up the stairs in her beautiful long white gown, and they all started waving at her, and of course she waved back. <laughs> but she didn't just wave back, she went through the door into their room to say hello to them, and they all rushed around her and they all started shouting, It's Elsa! Elsa from Frozen! <laughs> They were so excited. They pulled out her dress and her train to have a look at it and crowded around her. And, yeah, she stayed a while and had a chat with them. But she's very good for children, isn't she? She is. I suppose that's what comes from working for such a long time at a childcare centre. Yes, she's very good. And everybody was saying afterwards that she could have a new career as a party princess. <laughs> you know, one of those people that dresses up and, and goes, goes to visit all the children at their parties. That's right, and pretends to be a character. And I think she'd have a wonderful new career doing that if she wanted to. <laughs> yes. So have we got any other wedding stories? Well, I was really pleased with my outfit. After all the talk about what we, we were going to wear, I ended up wearing navy blue. It was a lovely outfit. And when I was in the church, while we were waiting for the wedding to begin, I glanced over to the other side of the church, to the bride's side, and saw Casey's mother, the bride's mother. And guess what she was wearing? Navy blue. <laughs> yeah. We were wearing the exact same shade of blue. I was wearing a skirt and a top, and she was wearing pants and a top. But we matched, didn't we? It was. It was the exact same shade of navy blue. And Casey's mum and I, we both have red hair, don't we? <laughs> yes. And when we stood having our photos taken with Callum and Casey, the parents and the bride and the groom, we matched either side. We did. <laughs> Except for one thing. What was the one thing? Casey's mum is really tall and you're quite short. <laughs> yes, Casey's mum's twice as tall as me, isn't she? Yes, and Casey takes after her. So we didn't match in height. The funny thing was afterwards I realised that Felicity, that's your oldest sister, you know, yes. I just tell everybody, who got married four years ago, her mother-in-law also has red hair. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going in for a trend of red-headed mother-in-laws at the you moment. Are. But the one good thing about you wearing the same colour was you'll look good in the photos, at least. I think so. We did. We, we, we didn't even talk about clothes, exactly. what we were going to wear. So I'm really pleased that Callum and Casey are now married. But a beautiful new daughter. You've got a beautiful new sister, haven't you? Yes. And they've gone off on their honeymoon for two weeks. They've gone to Surface Paradise, which is way up the coast in Queensland. Be nice and warm up there. 
probably very hot. <laughs> very. I think they're going to go to the beach and visit all the theme parks and have a lot of fun. And get very burnt. We all think that they're going to come home bright red. <laughs> red as a lobster. They're not very good with the sun, are they? No. <laughs> they both got very fair skin and they both always forget to put on the sunscreen. <laughs> so I think it's guaranteed they're going to come home sunburned. I can't wait for them to come home, can you? No. I want to talk weddings and yeah, go over all the wedding again and tell all the stories once again and then hear about their honeymoon. Yes. Well, thank you, Sophie, for joining me today to tell some wedding stories. That's all right. That was a good start to my podcast. Thank you. As I said earlier, it's the end of the official school term. Tomorrow, I'm recording this a few days early as usual. I publish my podcasts on Monday, but I usually record them either Thursday or Friday of the week before so that I have time to edit them over the weekend and to get the notes ready and all the links to all the resources sorted out before I have to publish the accompanying blog post. So, yes, my husband Andy has one more day of school and then he'll be on holiday for two weeks. That word holiday makes me think. Holiday in Australia can mean a break from work, where you might spend your holiday at home. It can also mean a holiday that you go on away from home. We might say, I'm spending the holidays at home. Or we could say, I'm going away for the holidays. It's the same word. Though I know some of my friends, maybe the ones in America, don't use just one word. Maybe they use the word vacation for going away. I'm not exactly sure in which cases they use holiday and which case they use vacation. But I just thought I'd explain that. So when I talk about holiday, we're not necessarily packing up our suitcases and going somewhere. Though we'd like to. Yes, every now and then we do like to pack up a suitcase and go on an away from home holiday. Usually we only go for about three days. I think three days suits us fine. It doesn't cost us too much, so we can afford more than one holiday in a year. It also means we're not away from our house for too long. I find as introverts, we are homebodies, and though we do like going away, we do like staying at home as well. So three days suits us fine. It gives us a chance to visit some museums or go for some walks or go to the beach, whatever we decide to do. But we don't spend too long away from our home. We haven't actually booked an away holiday for this school holidays. I don't really think we can afford to go anywhere after the wedding and other expenses that we've had recently. Instead, I've been thinking about visiting some local attractions, having a holiday in our local area. We actually live in an area where tourists come to visit. This is a tourist destination where we live, and we should be able to find lots of interesting things to do without going away. There's lots of historic places of interest. There's a mining ghost town, early settlers' homes. There's lots of natural places of beauty that we could go walking, but there's lots of tracks we haven't yet explored. We could take a picnic, take our cameras, and enjoy a holiday at home. Sometimes I wonder why we haven't already explored all these places. 
We've lived in this area now for about 20 years, and there's still so many things we haven't seen. I suppose we think these things are on our doorstep. They'll always be here. We'll see them one day. And so we never make an effort to go and visit any of the local attractions. Instead, our minds always think, well, we don't have a beach. Let's go to the beach. Or we don't have any museums and art galleries around here. Let's take a visit to the city and see some. And we look further afield. But I might visit our local tourist information website and see what's going on right here at home. Sometimes there's exhibitions going on, special events in our area, and tourists come down and they take advantage of all these things. I think I should keep a closer eye on what's going on locally. Maybe two or three weeks ago, we went to a local history exhibition. There were lots of interesting artifacts to see, things that had historic significance for our local area. Andy and I took our two youngest girls, Sophie and Gemma Rose, to this exhibition and we had a wonderful time yeah, looking at all the things, talking to the locals, having morning tea out. It cost us a gold coin donation each and the same for our morning tea, a very cheap outing. We learnt a bit and saw something local with that. We didn't have to go very far. I imagine that most of us have somewhere we can go and see locally. We all have tourist information websites for the places that we live. So I wonder if anybody else has ever had an at-home holiday and been a tourist in their own home place. things that I used to enjoy not doing during holidays was keeping up my homeschool records books. I used to keep good records for 10 weeks of the school term and then throw my book aside with relief at the end of the term thinking I'm not going to record another thing until the beginning of the new term because I don't have to. Nobody wants to know what we're doing in the holidays. I'm not obliged to record anything. But these days, since I've been using Evernote to keep our homeschool records, because it's such a wonderful tool for recording learning experiences, I have been keeping up my record keeping over the holidays. Not because I have to, but because I want to. I think some of the best learning experiences go on during holidays. This is a time that we get out and about and visit lots of interesting places. And I want to record all that, not just because it looks impressive in my homeschool records books, because it does, but also to capture all those memories of happy outings. So I normally add photos to our holiday notes, and I might visit the websites associated with the places of interest that we have visited. And once I have visited the, the websites, I usually clip some of those pages into my notebook too. For example, last summer we went to Janolan Caves for three days. I think we visited five or six of the caves. It was the best holiday that we had ever had. And when we got home, I went to the Janolan Caves website and I discovered that there were short videos 
showing the caves, a little tour of each cave. So I clipped those videos into my notebook so that we could revisit those caves and remember all the wonderful things that we had seen in them. When we went to the Science Centre Questacon in Canberra last year, when we got home, I discovered there was a wealth of information about every single one of their science exhibits. They described what the exhibits did and how they worked, what we should have learnt from manipulating the experiment. So I clipped all that into my notebook. It looked absolutely wonderful for the educational authorities, I'm sure. But it was also useful for us because when we come home from a place of interest, our heads are always buzzing with questions and ideas. We want to know more. So when we came home from Janolan Caves, we were in a cave period. We wanted to know more about caves. And of course, when we came home from Questacon, we were in a science mode. And we wanted to know more about how these uh, experiments and exhibits worked, because there's only so much you can pick up in a day at the Science Centre, too much to absorb all at once. One thing I haven't done, but which I could do, is clip a Google map showing the place of interest. That might be another thing that I could put into my notebooks. Even if we can't visit a place of interest, we can still visit the website and we can still learn a lot from that website. Some of the wonderful places we visited in Canberra last year were the Australian War Memorial and the National Museum of Australia and also the National Art Gallery of Canberra. But anybody could go and visit those websites and have a look at the paintings and other exhibits that are in those art galleries and museums. It's not quite the same as being there in person, but in a way it, it is much more informative because when you're on a website, you take the time to read everything and you have time to absorb it all. So although we have had a chance to go to all three of those places, there are some museums and art galleries and places of interest that we are unlikely to go to, such as the British Museum. But that doesn't mean we can't go to their website and sample some of the things that are actually in that museum. We have a book called A History of the World in 100 Objects, and it was written by Neil McGregor. There's also an associated BBC website and a podcast as well. I think all the 100 objects that are discussed in the book, podcast and website are actually in the British Museum. So that's one way that we can have an overseas trip and visit the British Museum without leaving home. Visiting places without leaving home. This reminds me of a blog post that I wrote some time ago. I think it's called How the Girls and I Take a Weekly Trip Overseas. And at that time, Sophie Jimmeroz and I used to enjoy going to YouTube and watching some of the Ultimate Journeys videos, the Ultimate Journey to Vietnam or the Ultimate Journey to New Zealand. There's a number of them. We used to settle ourselves on the sofa, put the video on, yes, and go overseas for an hour. A very good way of learning about an overseas country. Some of the tourist information videos also are a wonderful way of getting a taste of another country. 
Though I think that they show mostly good stuff. They wouldn't put any of the negative things about a country in a tourist information video. So one-sided maybe, but they're still very interesting. It's interesting also to see what sort of image a country wants to give the world of itself. And those images change over time with different advertising campaigns. They present their countries from different angles. This has provided a lot of good discussions with my girls as well. What are these tourist information videos trying to tell us? Are they always true? What are they not telling us? Yeah, I've um, had some good talks with the girls about such things as that. If you like art and would like to travel the world, looking at paintings in different art galleries. You can also do that from home. I wonder if you've heard of the Google Art Project. The Google Art Project allows you to look at paintings from galleries from all around the world. You can view the paintings, learn facts about them, about the artists too, and you can save favourites in your own gallery. So all you have to do is sign into your Google account and start adding paintings to your gallery. There are different ways of viewing the paintings. You can have a slideshow, or you can have a gallery view. You can look at them as if they are on the wall of the gallery where they are housed. So you can walk along the galleries and turn corners and see exactly where their paintings are situated. Now associated with the Google Art Project is the Historic Moments Collection. And these are online exhibitions, and you can explore these ones. In the description of Historic Moments, it says, Explore other online exhibitions detailing the stories behind significant moments in history. These are exhibitions from all sorts of places from around the world. I'll just read out a, a few of the titles of the exhibitions so you can get an idea of the sort of things that they have online. There's the construction of the Statue of Liberty. A slave pen journey. Power machinery. Tearing the Iron Curtain apart. Hiroshima. The fall of the wall. The exhibitions feature books, music, art, history, all sorts of different things. And you can view various artifacts, lots of different information about the exhibitions. And you can do all that from home. I do know there is an exhibition there from the Australian War Memorial. And though we have been to the memorial and seen things with our own eyes, we can also go online and have a look at this exhibition as well. There is a third collection associated with Google, and this is called World Wonders. And this is the description of it. From the archaeological areas of Pompeii to the Hiroshima Peace Memorial, Google World Wonders Project aims to bring to life the wonders of the modern and ancient world. And again, there's photos of all sorts of interesting things with associated with the wonders of the world. So if you can't get to a museum or an exhibition, you could go to Google and look at some of theirs. Last week I was talking about the Hairy Bikers, a couple of men who travel around on their bikes, visiting various places and trying out local cuisine, giving cooking demonstrations, that type of thing. And 
I was describing the vacation one through Europe. They travel through various countries, talking to locals, finding out more about local cuisine, as I said, and we get to see the scenery and listen to local people talking about their places. I guess we could go on a vacation with the Hairy Bikers, have a second-hand vacation, and there's lots and lots of other TV cooks who go out on location and to some very interesting places, and we could yeah join them and have a vacation with them. I just want to mention one last place we could go for a holiday or a vacation. Now, it's a place you might not think of as a holiday destination, and it's Chernobyl. A few podcasts ago, I was talking about a documentary series called Uranium, Twisting the Dragon's Tail, presented by Derek Muller, who's the host of the Veritasium YouTube channel. It was a three-part series, and it was very, very interesting. In one of the episodes, he took us to Chernobyl, into the Chernobyl exclusion zone. It was fascinating. I guess it's a ghost town now. He walked around the town, showing us various places like the kindergarten, the hospital. We saw the amusement park. The Ferris wheel was standing still. It had never been used. Apparently, the Ferris wheel was supposed to be opened the day after the Chernobyl disaster. Things are just as people left them. I suppose nothing could be taken out of the area and people just took themselves and a little bit of luggage when they when they were evacuated. And now people can't go back and take anything out of the zone because it is contaminated with radiation. I would have thought that a place like Chernobyl would have been very dangerous to visit, but apparently it is within safety limits. People can go there. You have to arrange a tour and it all has to be done properly you just can't walk in and if you follow the rules uh, you will be able to spend time in Chernobyl and then return home and not have any health issues there's certain things you cannot do you cannot put anything on the ground and then take it out of the area so if you have a tripod for a camera it has to be enclosed in some sort of protective covering that has to be discarded before you can take your tripod and your camera back home with you Now, I didn't actually know that you could arrange a tour to to Chernobyl until I was looking at some Google Maps. I quite often clip Google Maps into our Evernote notebooks. Whenever a place name is mentioned in a book or a video, usually I'll go to Google Maps and locate that on a map and show the girls and then clip the page into the notebook. Increases all of our knowledge about what we're reading or what we're learning about. And so after we had been watching the uranium program and Chernobyl was mentioned, I went to Google Maps to find out exactly where Chernobyl is, clipped a few maps of it, and the girls had a look as well. Certain things like the kindergarten and and the hospital were actually marked on the Google Map, and they had links to click onto, so that's what I did. I clicked onto the link for the kindergarten, and it took me to a tour site for Chernobyl. We can actually arrange a tour and go to Chernobyl and see the kindergarten and all the other places of interest there. I think the city is called Pripyat. 
It seems to be a self-contained place. It was meant for the workers at the Chernobyl plant, and it has all the latest. Well, it did have hospitals and theaters, lots of gyms, kindergartens and schools, amusement places, parks, everything a person could want in that one town. So, if you fancy a trip to Chernobyl. An educational trip, maybe, because I'm sure we'd learn a lot going there. You can actually go, but if you can't afford a trip to Chernobyl or you don't want to go, you can still learn a lot about Chernobyl because there are a lot of resources online. So if you found a few videos which I clipped into my notebook, and she found a site with lots of interesting photos, she was telling me that there aren't a great deal of photos of. The time of the Chernobyl nuclear disaster, because the radiation actually affected the films and destroyed them, but there are a number of them still. So I might put some links to that in the notes this week if you're interested. I'll also put links to the BBC podcast website and book, of course, their Google Art project, and any of the other things that I've talked about today. So if you feel like having a holiday at home. Or visiting the world through your computer, maybe some of those ideas might come in handy. So we're looking forward to two weeks of having my husband home. We're going to go on some picnics and some outings, and I hope also that I'll have some time to work on some of my own projects, like my writing. I had some very exciting news yesterday. I went to Amazon and discovered that the new version of my children's novel, The Angels of Abbey Creek, is now available to buy. I worked on that updated edition some weeks ago. Now I talked about it in a previous podcast. All my family rallied around and helped me get that new edition uploaded, and and yes, Amazon is now selling it. The stories in the new version are unchanged from the old version, but I'm hoping that the way I tell the story is a little bit better. I've just changed small sections, a word here or there, a sentence here or there, maybe improving my sentence structure and the telling of the story. And if you haven't heard about my book, I originally thought that it would be a good book for children aged maybe six to nine, both boys and girls. But since I've had some feedback from children, I've realised that slightly younger children and even older children are enjoying the stories. Children up to maybe twelve are enjoying my book, The Angels of Abbey Creek. It's set in Australia. A lot of the adventures in the book are very similar to adventures my own family have had. I've used my own children as inspiration. There's twenty-two chapters in the book. Each of those chapters is an individual story. But the stories all work together, fit into one overall story, which spans their time period of one year. So I hope, if you haven't already heard of my book, that you'll go over to Amazon and take a look. I would just like to invite you to visit my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. I should have lots of links to various history and geography resources to share. Now, if you would like to subscribe to this podcast, of course you can do that through iTunes. You can follow it through Podbean, 
Or you could just keep up regularly with my blog where I embed the podcasts each week. If the holidays don't get too busy and I get a few free moments, I hope to be back next week with another podcast. I'd just like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. And until next time, trust, respect, and love unconditionally.